You have 24 minutes. You have 24 minutes, the podcast from 24 Hour Nation. 24 Hour Nation advocates for safer, more inclusive, and more vibrant U.S. cities at night. Our podcast guests are thought leaders and industry experts on issues related to effective nighttime governance. 24-Hour Nation is also designed for intrepid travelers who seek new and intriguing nighttime experiences in U.S. cities. Follow us online at 24hournation.com and on social media at 24 Nation. My name is Randall White, host and curator for 24-Hour Nation. Our guest today is Merrick Milan. As Amsterdam's nightmare from 2012 to 2018, Merrick Milan played an instrumental role in reshaping that city's nightlife scene into one of the most vibrant and economically robust in the world. Today, Merrick is co-founder and partner at VibeLab, a European-based consultancy that helps communities around the world better understand the cultural and economic value of a vibrant life at night. We started this episode by asking him, what is a nightmare? Here's Merrick. A nightmare nowadays, it means different things for different people. Um, but uh, in Amsterdam, and was, when I was first selected in, in 2012, uh, the nightmare really is a spokesperson, an advocate for nightlife in the city. Um, the nightmare in Amsterdam is a direct advisor to the mayor and to the city hall, uh, but also collaborating closely with, uh, with the city council. I really feel that uh, the nightmare is a, a person that drives dialogue. And we always like to say is, you know, by having a dialogue, we can change the rules of the game. Why did we say that? Because um, many of the, um, you know, many of the the policies concerning the night, they have been created uh, a really long time ago. And uh, many decisions regarding the night are often based uh, on emotions. Uh, There's no real research and data being put into the night because it's, you know, people say often, sometimes you hear that nothing good happens after midnight. And that's also where the conversations and the dialogue have have stopped so often. So a nightmare is an advocate and a translator and, uh, yeah, and, and, and an ambassador for the dark or a defender of the dark. Do you use the word nighttime economy? I hear a lot of discussion now that maybe that's not the best description for what happens after six and before six. What? What? How do you define the night? Yeah, so exactly. I think that's also so interesting, you know, because the, let's say, nighttime governance or the whole conversation about the night is actually a very emerging policy field still. So we don't really have, you know, all the, not all the definitions are, are have 100% landed, I think. So um, nighttime economy, yes, I think that, that makes sense for people that really want to look at the monetary side of the night. Uh, at the moment here in Amsterdam, the conversation is very much about nighttime culture, about night culture, and uh, to really getting into this, into really getting this, talking about the night more as a as a cultural asset. I believe that the night has, you know, different dimensions, and these dimensions are the social, cultural, and economic aspect. We often refer to these three dimensions when we when we speak about the night. So many folks in the states do not understand the club culture of Europe, and since you and Lutz uh, Leichsenring kind of sprang up out of the club scene, can you? 
help those listening better appreciate what the club culture is really in Europe? Yeah, well, I, I, I think there's definitely also, of course, um, club culture in, in the US and, and New York being, of course, um, New York, but also Detroit and, and, and being being and Chicago being very uh, influential in, in developing house music and house, well, techno and house sure. come from the US, of course. I, I think I think club club culture is very much about community. It's very much about uh, being with like-minded people that if you would go to these spaces that you would know what to expect, but on the other hand, also be educated and, and learn and learn new things. I think that club culture is uh, really often something that is not based on uh, monetary impact. So uh, you see that many music venues or nightclubs are, you know, some of them, of course, you know, you always have the hard hitters that make a lot of money, but there's also a lot of love that is being reinvested in that community and in that space. That's why they're often also the first victims of their own success, because many venues or or nightclubs or or these kinds of community spaces they don't have the money to uh invest in soundproofing and do up the whole building you know and um so that's that's i think it's very much for the love of community i don't think it's only a european thing uh but you definitely there is a difference between curated nightlife and cultural relevant nightlife and more your you know uh nightlife which is very uh much driven on uh alcohol sales and and that's what right. we, always, we always hope to influence cities by is thinking more what what is like focus more on curated nightlife uh, because you will have less issues than only bars that are focusing on selling alcohol in the shortest period of time. Now, what do you mean by curated nightlife? What do, what do you mean? By uh, that? That, that's mean that nightlife that has uh, a program, mm. uh, whether this is a musical program on stage, whether this is a performance program, but it could also, it can, it can also be, of course, you know, a, a festival of some sort taking place. And sometimes even uh, people uh, refer to like gastronomy, you know, like high-end restaurants also as a as part of being more like um, this curated part of the night. So it's an overall plan that makes it be more than just about bars. Yes, or pubs, I think right? so. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I remember you saying something um, that in the early mm-hmm. 2000s that people thought of Amsterdam as an open air museum. It was kind of boring and dull. And and so the then mayor, I suppose, or then elected officials said, we've got to do something about this. And their competition, a lot of the creatives in Amsterdam uh, were going to Berlin. I loved your description of Berlin as it being kind of in the middle of nowhere. So suddenly, but all this creative energy was going to Berlin. And what happened? No, for sure. Like, so um, uh, many people were feeling that Amsterdam was losing its, you know, innovative and progressive character, of course, already coming out of the 60s and 70s with our, you know, um, uh, progressive uh, drug policies, of course. Yeah, Amsterdam or the Netherlands being, you know, the first city in the world that uh, to have same-sex marriage. Um, but many of these privileges that were also were slowing down. You see the rise of mass tourism. Uh, the licensing became stricter and stricter for music events and and and, and festivals, but also for bars. And uh, yeah, there was a long period where the city hall and city council was only focusing on Amsterdam should be a city where kids and families and 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 can can have their best time. And parks should be a place for 
recreation and and that is something that that was against the wrong foot of of many uh, many, many of Amsterdamers so uh, that was really um that was really one of the starting points uh, often nightlife advocacy starts by with with protests it's or it starts by people want to change something or they're fed up with something and that's also why it's important to also sometimes uh, get to the front end of these conversations but yeah that was very much uh, the case back in the in the early early 2000s when the the nightmare position was first created it took more or less 10 years to that it established into a more independent non-for-profit and it could stand on its own feet um and that was basically i think the transition that i i helped to establish to get more recognition from venue owners and, and promoters uh, from um the city itself but also organizing own events i think that the heydays have been very instrumental in getting the word out and there was a really great group that were were the first nightmares in Amsterdam but I what what I did is help to professionalize the role and and to get more recognition from from the from the city side and that was um, a, that was an elected position you're in that you were in that role for what six years yeah I did it for six years but it's important to to, um, to explain that the nightmare is an independent non-for-profit uh, right. so we were funded 50 percent by city hall and 50 percent let's say by nightlife operators we so we in Amsterdam, the nightmare is not part of city hall. It's not part of the city, and I think that gives a lot of. Um, uh, I think it it has it gives a position, a unique position, also where you can still be critical. Right. And sometimes to drive change, you need right. to be outspoken. If you're always part of the, if you're part of this, the city's administration, that also limits in what you can say and what you can't say. So um, I think there, I think there's, you know, um, from a um, uh, sustainability standpoint, it might be, you know, the model that, for example, is is, is happening in uh, New York might be right. is the probably the most sustainable one. Uh, for people that don't know, New York has, of course, the director of the Office of Nightlife or the, the Nightlife Office, um, and they can only, you know, their budget and their um, can be only taken away if there is another bill that is voted on. Uh, in Amsterdam, it's it's more easy for uh, you know it's it, it you know when the position changes, you know it's more easy for um, for people to to step in and out. Um, but it's also diff- very difficult for 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 some of the night night mayors or nightlife advocates to uh, to speak out and to say, well, we don't think this is the right approach, and 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 to find support in 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 doing that. But I think all the so at the moment there are more than seventy night mayors or or nightlife advocates around the world, and all doing really great uh, gr- great work. Uh, but what's interesting is whether these are placed inside or outside city government. They're all advocacy roles. So. None of the nightmares inside government have the ability to change curfews or, um, you know, uh, regulations or safety or, or, or whatnot. They don't have the power to change. They always have to go through city council or through a mayor, mayor to get policy changes happen. So when you were in the capacity as a nightmare in Amsterdam, what toss out a couple of accomplishments, changes. I was really intrigued by a quote you gave that we that we can't police ourselves out of this situation and that you you introduced the idea of the hosts in the squares. And that's a model that some other cities have looked at. It's not about policing them, but it's about doing something else. Talk about that. 
Yeah, for sure. So um, one of the the big accomplishments that we that we could achieve uh, in collaboration with the mayor, of course, and 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 there, there again, you know, you need to have the top down and bottom up structure in place. Um, the, the the first the impact. So the impact of the whole project, which was uh, it started out as a three year long pilot project, was we managed to get down alcohol related violence in that district by twenty percent and reports of nuisance up to twenty eight percent. So nuisance of any sort. So that's public urination, littering, antisocial behavior, all kinds of things that that, um, uh, can can be uh, brought into relationship with the night. So the approach very much is, uh, I think what we did, and there again, you see, I think the importance of of a nightmare position. We really work together with the city, with the city city resident group, so all the neighbors in the area and and the nighttime operators to first do an audit to really understand where the issues are. Because sometimes we're, you know, we're creating solutions for things that are actually not really the problem. And mm. and, and we really need to think about, okay, where, where is the issue? And, and also finding out where the red tape is. So for example, in this project, what we have done is uh, we started with an audit of the area. We looked at what are all the issues because the being safe and feeling safe are two different things. So sometimes you need, for example, sometimes you need more lighting uh, to feel safe at night in a dark alley. But sometimes, and that was the case in Amsterdam, you need less lighting because, for example, what we saw out of the police data as well, that the most issues occur when people go out late or go out um, and, and spill out from the venues into the street. And you need to make sure that when all these different target groups and all these different people that that are out on the street to make the um, experience as pleasant as possible. So one of the things that we did is we um, made sure that one of these big, really big television screens, I don't want to say Times Square, but you get my drift, but that we we managed to get down the intensity of that light by 60%. Because if if it's 4 a.m., you're out at night, and you know there are squad cars on the on the square. They are there's very bright light flashing in your eye. You just came out of a nightclub or a place, and you had a great night. There is uh, bicycles, of course. People on bicycles, they ride them every time of the day, which is I think I think a, a, good, a good approach. You know, you have bicycles, you have pedestrians, you have all kinds of traffic crossing each other, and that creates also an atmosphere where conflict is risen really quickly. And so we very much looked at the square. So um, uh, the the lighting went down or was adjusted. We installed the square host, which was a very interesting project where we had uh, 20 hosts uh, in pairs patrol the street every Friday and Saturday night between 9 and 6 a.m. Mm. Uh, they will function as an as a as a non non-aggressive intermediate, and that worked really well. Uh, they really were guiding and helping people finding their way. Uh, they were really hospitable, et cetera, et cetera. But what we also did is um, we managed to, that the police wasn't present at the square anymore, but only were, only were in the neighborhood, but just not with their squad car in the middle of the, uh, of the square, in the side streets, in the back alleys. And the police would only come onto the square on bicycles or by foot. And that has, has made it, big uh, difference in the atmosphere at on the square late at night and and of course the change to a pedestrian area the direct contact between neighbors and uh, the city when it comes to complaints that was a was a big hurdle to overcome but a but a big accomplishment 
uh, and that whole all this whole set of measurements that led to the the impact that we have and now this project has been expanded to the the two other big nightlife districts we have in the city and so and also now i guess amsterdam has re- regained some of its mojo as a as a nighttime place stealing away a little bit back from uh, berlin although you do you do still tip your hat to berlin and lutz and uh, the crew there and what they're doing there so out of this experience as the nightmare of amsterdam you 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 came into an awakening saying i'm onto something here i'm going to partner with lutz and i'm going to create this entity and we are going to do what tell us a little bit about how you decided to go global. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much. So when I started uh, the role of the night mayor, and I'm really, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm from the nightlife scene myself, I, I never expected this to become a global movement. I think the tipping point really was 2016 when um, me and, and Ella, uh, who, who I was, uh, with whom I was running the Nightmare Foundation, uh, we organized the Nightmare Summit. The Nightmare Summit was the first time we had nightmares from Paris and Toulouse. That was the first cities in the role after Amsterdam that, that adopted this, this role. Um, we had the Club Commission from Berlin, also a nightlife advocacy organization. We we invited there as well. And this was really the tipping the, the moment where really exciting. We had like 50 articles uh, on the Nightmare Summit because people suddenly it clicked, they understood, oh, there's somebody taking care of the night, trying to balance it, trying to make it more equal. From that that moment onwards, more and more cities were uh, also wanted to adopt the nightmare role or club commission or similar organization. And they reached out to either myself or to Lutz and Lutz and I, we started to uh, meet each other. uh, Lutz being the spokesman for the Berlin club commission for the last 10 years. And we started to meet each other more and more often at at numerous of conferences, at events, at at music uh, conferences, et cetera. So uh, back in 2017, we decided to team up. Um, We started Vibe Lab, which is a a purpose-driven consultancy. Uh, We do a lot of research. Uh, We we consult, of course, cities. I think from those 70 cities, I think uh, at least half of them we have consulted on how to set up uh, this role. But we also do a lot of advocacy work. So because we're both so much rooted uh, in this work, we both started out coming back to the club culture. We both started out investing a lot of time and love and energy. Uh, Lutz, and that is just a tremendous accomplishment, has never been paid for his work at the Club Commission in Berlin. Uh, It's a totally voluntary position. I also have worked for a couple of years without any remuneration. In the end, of course, we could convince the city to to, to, uh, put in some money so we could pay our staff and our campaigns and and, and everyone. But uh, I think that's that's really, really something um, uh, really to a really spectacular thing that Lutz is doing that already for so long. But we also as a company now, a a for-profit company, but with purpose, we're investing 20% of our annual turnover into advocacy projects. Uh, soon we will be at the end of the summer. We'll be releasing a global nighttime manifesto. That it's really the goal is to seek for a more sustainable and equitable and and also safe safe nightlife to again um, try to find more money. We always love to funnel money from cities towards creatives and to the nighttime industry or from um, European grant grant money 
towards uh, creative projects. That's really, you know, what, what drives us. So with VibeLab, we recently, uh, during the pandemic, we developed uh, the Global Nighttime Recovery Plan, of course. Fantastic document. With your help of sell, yourself, uh, seven, seven chapters, white papers, um, which touch on all the topics that are related to the night when it comes to mobility, safety, 24-hour economy, yeah, diversity, equality. Uh, Nighttime equity. placemaking, a lot of things that people in cities need to have in mind correct yeah, yeah that's and that's of course down, down downloadable on the platform that we run which is called nighttime.org uh, but also what we have also developed is a um uh, a measuring tool which is called the creative footprint right and the great creative footprint is basically a nightlife impact study um, that that not only focused on the economic impact the nightlife has on the city, but very much on the cultural activity and the talent that it attracts and the the the, the impact that it has on the on the city as well. Just to finish, it's um it's a it's a project that we have we have researched um, a, um a three major cities and 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 in the world we did New York, Tokyo, Berlin, but also mm. Stockholm. And the coming year we are researching uh, Montreal, which is very very exciting. And it's to benchmark and compare these cities and 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 to let the city understand uh, what their impact of the of the night culture is the other uh, i think amazing accomplishment are you got the uh, the un habitat world urban forum for the first time this global conglomeration decided to focus on the night so uh yes just recently at the world urban forum which is a, a conference uh, organized by UN Habitat. It's where all the people that do something with urban planning and uh, urbanization come together. Um, we have been lobbying for this topic, uh, uh, you know, for the topic of the night, also with the UN for the last uh, three or four years. Uh, so it has been a very slow process, but now for the first time we could discuss the value of the night on this platform and very much focus on um, safety and well-being true nighttime activity and nighttime culture. And it's really for us, it's 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 really like a door opener that the UN Habitat also starts to think about the night, not just only as a place of problems, but also a way to, that can can bring more safety to cities. Definitely, when you look at cities, of course, in um, which is also a strong focus of the of of, of UN Habitat is of course in Africa, but also Latin America and other places in, which can be unsafe at night. Uh, it was a police captain in actually in Cali in Colombia that really told me, you know, the the the, the solution for safety is not more police. And actually, so that works on a on a scale of uh, you know a, a city in, in in Colombia, but it also works as 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 I explained for a city in Amsterdam. You know, it, it's more about community, about smart, let's say, public interventions or urban urban interventions that make the night more safe and that create more, let's say, well being. Uh, than to have more police um, on on the streets. So we were happy that we were invited there to speak about this topic. And we did a night walk where more than 200 uh, people showed up from mayors from many cities in the world to uh, urban planners and all kinds of people. And for us, it's just a step to drive the conversation again with these cities to, to show them what the value of the night really is. I love that. And also your point, I think that many cities think of the night as a problem. And uh, what you're doing is flipping that conversation and saying, but no, 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 a well-planned night can be the solution. And uh, to what you think problems are at night, people can learn more about you at vibe-lab.org or nighttime.org. You're also on on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn as Vibe Lab Network, and then on Instagram, Vibe Lab underscore. 
Core Network. Mirak Milan, uh, co-founder of Viable Lab. I'm going to give you the final word. People listening to this will be from Houston, Texas, Honolulu, Kansas City, Boston, cities you've worked with, some that you may not have. What message, what's the thing you want to say to these cities that will uh, bring them into a new understanding of what the night can be? What, what we really often hear is when we explain about, you know, that the introduction of the 24-hour licenses that we did in Amsterdam or, the, for example, the soundproofing fund that, uh, that, that Lutz has, has, uh, was able to set up, which is like, it's an amazing project where $2 million, uh, a year of funding is provided to the nighttime industry uh, to, to sound uh, insulate their clubs or to, to change other things or buy a new sound system. Really often we hear that, oh, that is so far in the distance, so and so far in the future, we will never accomplish that because we have nobody in City Hall that will listen to my story. But we really want to say to those people, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter where you are on the timeline. It's really important to start now. If you're working in nightlife or if you want to do something in nightlife or you want to develop a career in nightlife, get some people around the table, start discussing what you think is valuable write your five-point action plan or your manifesto and start communicating about it with the press, you know, with uh, other entrepreneurs, with people in City Hall. And yes, the road ahead is long, but it's really important to start now and to really unify your voice. This has been Season 1, Episode 14 of 24 Minutes from 24 Hour Nation. Find us online at 24hournation.com and on social media at 24hournation.com.